0: I love Pastor Kurt's uh, love for the Word of God, and uh, he's going to preach the Bible this morning, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And so let's give him a very warm Rock Hill Conference welcome as he comes up. Come on, we can do a little bit better than that this morning. All right. Well, have a seat, everybody, if you would. Thanks for uh, letting me come. I'm glad to be Rakia's favorite preacher. <laughs> I can promise you, my wife's name is Wanda, and I am not Wanda's favorite preacher. I pro- <laughs> so that keeps you humble. You know, I asked my daughter Hannah when she was growing up, I'd say, Hannah, what did dad preach on this morning? And she, she never knew. She's like, Jesus, <laughs> the Bible. Uh, so uh, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. But I appreciate you coming this morning. What a great service last night. Wasn't that a blessing? All, all, all the hard work that went into the worship team. I was watching each musician last night and just how, first of all, how skilled they are. It's amazing. You know, the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord, but sometimes that's all people do. I'm glad when they can make a joyful noise skillfully <laughs> unto the Lord, and you've got a great team to do that. Uh, it, was, it was wonderful. And then just all of it, the, the testimony video, I saw a sneak peek. I got a sneak peek of the new video that's coming out. It's going to be awesome. God's doing some great things at Rock Hill. God's doing some great things. It's been a privilege for me to be a kind of a part of your journey for these five years and kind of get a snippet every year. I, got, I get a little view every year of what's happening. And the thing that excites me is every year I'm meeting new people that have come to Christ whose lives have been transformed It's, that's what it's supposed to be. You know, I'll be honest with you. There's some churches I'll go uh, a year by year, and it's the same group every year. And I'm glad for faithfulness, but if it's the same group every year and nobody's coming in, something's wrong. Have you ever noticed that there's something different about a house where there's kids? Have you noticed that? You just don't, you can't care as much about your stuff when there's kids, you know, people that care too much about their stuff don't like kids because they don't want them messing up their knickknacks. They don't want them spilling things on the carpet. I'm glad that Rock Hill doesn't care so much about its stuff that it's forgotten about kids because kids are yeah, right. If there's not babies and, and, and toddlers and, and children, and I'm talking about spiritually in a church, there's something wrong with that church. And as far as I can tell, there's nothing wrong with Rock Hill. And I know that your best days are ahead. It's exciting to be in a new facility, but this is not your final home. If Jesus tarries his coming, I'm looking forward to the day when it's not a rental facility, it's your facility. And that day's coming. That day's coming. I know that you're living by faith, and I know God's going to do some great things. We're praying with you. We're praying for you. Uh, Always know that you have a friend in uh, Virginia, you've got two friends in Virginia, but uh, hey, know that you have a friend in Virginia. We are not as close to D.C. as Steve is, but we're an hour south. Uh, we're, we're outside of the, he's in the craziness, we're outside of the craziness. And I, I'll tell you this, if you're ever in the D.C. area, you just want to do D.C., you want to see the monuments, you want to just enjoy that part of the country, uh, you're welcome at our home. And I mean that. We built a, a kind of an apartment into our home for guests. And uh, if you just let me know with time, because uh, there's a lot of people there, uh, it's kind of like the, the, the Skelly B&B, but it won't cost you anything. Uh, we'd love to just have you come and spend some time. We've had a number of people take us up on that offer, and you're welcome to come through. And if you ever want to just come to a church service and enjoy a, a, a nice meal, we've got a Texas Roadhouse Right across the street from our church. If that doesn't suit you, we've got Dunkin' Donuts right near the church. That's good, right there. Um, and we've got uh, we've got three Chick fil A's within one mile of our church. Matter of fact, when I when I pastored in Pennsylvania, there was no Chick fil A, which is tragic. That is tragic. And so when I went to to uh, Virginia, we had three Chick fil A's within one mile of our church. I was so excited. I'm not kidding you. I made this mistake two. Out of the first three weeks, Sunday afternoon, went to the drive-thru, and I'm like, this is God. This is God. This is because I'm Rakia's favorite preacher. God has blessed me because there's no drive-thru line. Now, stupid was I when I pulled up, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. Anyway, so I've not made that mistake recently, but I have made that mistake. I want to stay on the theme of your conference, and I love the theme. I love the theme of, of battling because we know that we serve King Jesus, and we know that we're in the army of the Lord, and so we know the end from the beginning because the Bible tells us that. And so I want you to open your Bible to Psalm 20. I meant to tell the, the, the guys in the back. The, I don't know if you could get Psalm 20 up on the screen here as I do verse. Can you do that? Is it too late? Okay, that's all right. That was a test, Rock Hill. Some churches, I'll just do that last minute, and they can do it. But obviously, you cannot do that here. Um, So let's expect next year, when I say a scripture verse, what's that? The value of preparation. See, you should have prepared. (laughs) Listen, I can blame shift. I learned that at Bible college. Well, you've got a copy of the Bible, so that's good. Psalm 20 in your Bible, I want you to keep your Bible open And we're going to look at an incredible passage of Scripture, and I don't want you to miss it. So Psalm 20 uh, in your Bible, and this is a Psalm of David, and I think it's going to help you if you'll allow it to this morning. Psalm 20, and look if you would at verse, well, look at the introduction where the Bible says, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. You You know this, you know the Psalms were written to be sung. You know that, right? Do you know why? The Psalms were written to be sung. The Psalms were written to be sung because back in Bible days, they didn't have the benefit that you and I have. The benefit that we have is we have a copy of the Bible. It's sitting on our lap. We can read it anytime we want. Matter of fact, more than that, we've got computers with the Bible on it. We have iPads with the Bible on it. We have a phone with the Bible on it. We are of all people most blessed. But back in Bible days, they did not have that. And so in order to know the Bible, you had to go hear somebody else read the Bible. That's why the Bible places such emphasis on the public reading of Scripture. Why? Because back in Bible days, people didn't have the Scripture. So the Bible was precious. But, but, but if people were to hide God's Word in their heart, the best way to memorize is through music. That's how you learn your ABCs, right? A, B, C, D, you learn the song. And so in the Bible, Bible, they would learn these songs so they did not forget God's word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sit against thee. That was a song that they sang. And so scripture was learned through singing. So when David wrote this psalm as a poem, he wrote it in such a way that people would learn it by singing it. In other words, God does not want you to forget the lesson of Psalm 20. That's the point. God does not want you to forget the lesson. Look at it, uh, Psalm 20, verse 1, where the Bible says, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Now, skip down, if you would, at verse number 6, where the Bible says, "Now, Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. So in verse six, it's I. In verse one, it's the Lord hear thee. In verses one through five, don't miss this. In verses one through five, what the psalmist is saying, we are praying for you. Say that with me, ready? We are praying for you, okay? But in verse six, it's the person for whom they're praying. So it's we are praying for him one through five. In verse six, it's I am being prayed for. I'm the one that people are praying for. And then in verses seven through nine, look at verse number seven. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we, we will remember. So it's back to we. So verses one through five, we. Verse six, I. Verses seven through nine, we. So most of the psalm is not a person praying for himself, but most of the psalm is People praying for somebody else. People praying for somebody else. And verse 6 is the response of the one who's being prayed for, who's the king, uh, who is David. So verses 1 through 5, we're praying for David. Verse 6, they're praying for me. Verses 7 through 9, we're praying for David. So I want to talk to you uh, this morning for just a couple of minutes on this topic. Ready? The battle before the battle. The battle before the battle. See, we think the battle is the battle. We think that the battle, boy, I've got to win this battle. I'm going to face it. We all face battles. Some of you are facing a huge battle in your life right now. It might be a financial battle. It might be a a relational battle right now. Just don't know why in the world is this person doing what they're doing in my life? Why have they left? Why have they they rejected me? Why am I dealing with this at work? Why? A battle. We all face battles. But understand this. The battle is really not the battle. If you're going to be victorious in your life, you're going to have to understand the principle of the battle before the battle. See, before there was a Calvary, there was a Gethsemane. And the battle that was won at Calvary was won at Gethsemane when Jesus said, Not my will, but thine be done. See, there was a battle in the Valley of Elah where David stood before Goliath. And we love to talk about the battle of David versus Goliath. But the battle of David versus Goliath was not won in the Valley of Elah. It was one with David who was by himself and trusted a God that could protect him against a lion and a bear. See, it's the battle not in the battle. It's the battle before the battle that matters. And I want to talk to you this morning about this battle. The battle before, the battle before there's a battle with swords and spears and bows and arrows. There's a battle raging in your heart. That's the battle. The battle I want to talk about is not the battle of facing people, not the battle of facing finances or pressure. It's this battle. It's the battle on your knees when you're all by yourself alone with your gun. That's the battle that must be won. And that's the battle about which we'll speak in Psalm 20. The battle before the battle. Father, I pray that you bless the message. Oh God, we need you. Desperately, we need you. Lord, I pray for Rock Hill. I pray for this conference. But Lord, right now, specifically, I pray for each person in this room. God, you know the needs, you know the battles. I pray that you would do a work on the inside where only you can go. Reveal the things that only you can reveal. Strengthen in the ways that only you can strengthen. Please, God, bless this message, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about a couple things. Now, I just want to tell you where I'm going because uh, we have a limited time this morning, and I'm going to have to blast right out at the end of the message to go catch a flight, and I apologize in advance for that. I want to answer three questions. First of all, I want to answer the question, what, what do approaching battles accomplish in our, in our lives? Understanding that God is not doing something to you. God is not doing something to you. God is doing something for you. Never, never miss that preposition. God is not doing, well, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God is not doing something to you. God is doing something for you right now in your life. So what do approaching battles, what do they accomplish in our life? You know what God's concerned about? God's not concerned about you necessarily winning the physical battle. God's concerned about one thing in your life. You know the one thing that God's concerned about in your life? Your faith. You know what's on trial today? What's on trial today is your faith. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God's concerned about your faith. Your faith is your capacity to trust God. So God's going to bring whatever you need in your life to help you to trust him more. Why? Because that's what matters. What matters is your capacity to trust God. And so what do approaching battles, what do they accomplish in our lives? Number two, how do I pray for other people in the battle? Because most of the psalm is not me praying for myself. Most of the psalm is recognizing that we live in community. We live in community. We live as Rock Hill Church, that we live as community. And so we, uh, we are going through battles and watching others go through battles. How do we pray for other people in their battle? That's what most of the psalm is, praying one for another, uh, going to battle for each other. Battles that are fought by oneself are battles that are lost, but battles that are fought in community, in God's will, are battles that are won for the glory of God. And so uh, what do approaching battles accomplish in my life? Number two, how do I pray for other people in their battle? And then number three, how can I remember any of this? How can I? Because re- I'm going to give you a, a bucket load of information. you can be like, oh, oh, man, i got to write that, i got to write that, i got to remember that. And sometimes uh, there's the paralysis of analysis as we look at Scripture and say, man, uh, am I getting it right? Did, did I do number five? Did I get sub-point number three? And so let's simplify the whole thing. And God's God's really good at taking big, complex things and saying, okay, let's simplify this. So at the end of the message, if you forget everything else I say, I'm going to give you two simple ways to simplify everything we're talking about in the message so you can walk out and know exactly how this message applies to your situation today. What do approaching battles do in our lives? How can I pray for other people in those battles? And then how in the world am I going to remember this? Okay, number one, what do approaching battles accomplish in my life? Let's skip all the way down to verse 6, because that's the the verse that's the epicenter of the entire psalm. Verses 1 through 5 point to verse 6. Verses 7 through 9 point back to verse 6. Verse 6 encompasses the person for whom the entire psalm is written, the one who is the subject of, the object of their prayer. Look at uh, Psalm 20 and verse number 6, where the Bible says, Now I know, now know I, we would say now I know, that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. What's happening? David's about to go to battle. Psalm 20, David is uh, ahead of a great battle. We don't know what battle it was, but it's probably the battle of 2 Samuel chapter number 10. You say, okay, Kurt, what's 2 Samuel 10? 2 Samuel 10 is a battle that they fought against the Amalekites and the Syrians. Big battle. Now, here's what was significant. It was that battle in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that David should have gone back to and finished, but he didn't, and he sinned with Bathsheba. So this is not only a time of great victory for David, but what we're going to find is that it was this battle that was a, a battle of great defeat for David as well. And David, as was the custom ahead of battle, would go to the place of sacrifice, the temple. Now, there was no temple yet, so he went to the tabernacle. And David went to a place as near as he could go, not being a priest, he couldn't go in, and he would offer sacrifices to God ahead of the battle. Oh God, protect me. Oh God, I'm going to face some bow, I'm going to face some arrows tomorrow. I'm going to face some swords tomorrow. Uh, My my army's going to face an attack tomorrow. Oh, God, we need you. Oh, God, we need your strength. Oh, God, we need your protection. Oh, God, would you give the victory? Oh, God, please. So this is David praying ahead of the battle. And what's happening is as David pours out his heart to God ahead of the battle, the people are gathering around David. The people know there's a special pressure on the leader. Do you know that there's a special pressure on the leader? In the home, there's a special pressure on dad and mom, a special pressure. As you're trying to raise your kids for God, as you're trying to help that, that teenager discover God for himself, as, as you're praying for that wayward and prodigal son that's walked away from God, there's a special pressure on leaders. You know, there's a special pressure on Pastor Matt as he leads Rock Hill. It doesn't make him a better Christian than anybody else. It doesn't make him more important than anybody else, but there's a special pressure that goes on leadership. And all of us are leaders to some uh, degree, in some way, shape, or form. And so David is facing special pressure. Why? Because he realizes that I'm leading people into a life or death situation. Man, God, I need you, and I need you desperately. So what do approaching battles, what do they teach us in our lives? I think, first of all, approaching battles teach us that we we desperately need God. They help us focus on our desperate need for God. Look at verse number 6 again. Well, the Bible says, "Now know I that the Lord saveth His anointed." Matter of fact, that's the that's the encapsulation of the entire prayer. Uh, look at verse number nine: "Save, Lord, save, Lord." You know what happens when big things come down the pipeline of our life? They help us to simplify. But in prosperity, we make a million decisions. What kind of car am I going to buy, and what kind of decorations will I have for my new uh, living room uh, uh, decor? And wh- what am I going to, uh, what am I going to eat tonight? Where am I going to go out to eat this weekend? We ha- have a million decisions in prosperity, but when trouble comes, we have one decision, and the one decision we have when big trouble comes is, "Oh God, help! Oh God, help!" And sometimes we think that's a really bad place to be, but listen, that's not a really bad place to be. That's a really good place to be. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. And that question is this, when are you closer to God? When are you closer to God? In prosperity or in trouble? And then if you were God and your children only paid attention to you when things got bad, what would you do? Because your greatest need is God. Your greatest need is to walk with God. Your greatest need is to have faith in God. And so God put David in a situation where David couldn't look anywhere else. David David couldn't make any other decisions. Oh, God, I need you, and I need you desperately. Approaching battles, I'll tell you what, they make you uh, have a desperate need, a sense of a desperate need for God. But number two, what do approaching battles accomplish in our lives? I think number two, they clarify what we're trusting in. You know what battles do? Battles teach you things about you. Battles teach you things about you. When the battle comes, it helps you to to understand, what am I really trusting in? Where Where does my faith really lie? Well, watch what David says here in verse number six. He says, now know I, here's what I've learned. Here's what I have confidence. Here's something that I know to be true. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. It helps us focus on our desperate need for God. It clarifies what we're trusting in, what's truly important. Remember, God is concerned about one thing in your life, and the one thing about which God is concerned is your face. That's the one thing, your capacity to trust Him. So He's going to put you in a situation where you have to look up. Now, we ought to voluntarily look up, but remember what the writer of Proverbs said. He said, Lord, don't give me so much prosperity that I forget about you, and don't give me so much trouble that I curse you. God, keep me in that equilibrium where I always need that. I always know that I need you, and I need you today, and I need you desperately. You know that every day of your life ought to be a little microcosm of the day you got saved? Every day of your life ought to be a microcosm of the day that you got saved. Remember the day you got saved? remember the day you came to Jesus Christ remember what that was like remember you you realized you were a sinner you realized that you were lost and undone and on your way to hell there's nothing you could do about it and you were desperate Oh God I need you and I need you desperately and God you're the only one that can help me and oh God I put all my faith and all my trust in you well having begun in the spirit are you now made perfect by the flesh no, it's not that God got you kickstarted. and now you can do your own thing. No, God wants you every single day of your life to come to a place of complete uh, insufficiency to say, Jesus, I need you today as much as I've ever needed you. And, oh, God, I can't live for you today. And, oh, God, in my strength I can't please you today. And, oh, God, I need for you to do in my life what only you can do. That's, that's what battles do. They remind us of our insufficiency and of our total dependence upon a God that's ready, willing, and able to give you His power today. Your desperate need for God. It clarifies what you're trusting in, what's truly important. What do approaching battles accomplish in our life? I think number two, uh, number three, they cause us to look inward and to evaluate our calling and purpose. Now, don't miss this. They cause us to look inward. Battles. They cause us to look inward and to evaluate our calling and our purpose. Watch what it says one last time in verse number six. Where it says, now I know, know I, that the Lord saveth, now get the term here, his anointed. Now we know that David was God's anointed. We know that Samuel showed up one day and looked for uh, the sons of Jesse, and he thought it was Eliab, and he thought it was Shammah, and he thought it was the rest of the sons of Jesse, but it wasn't. And finally he said, is there not another son? And they went out to the, uh, the, 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 the sheep coat, and they got David and brought him in. This is the one. They anointed him. The anointing was the symbolic oil of God to say, this is the one I have chosen. Understand this, though, that all of us are anointed. You know, the anointing is simply the symbol of the Holy Spirit's choosing. You know that, that if, you're, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, in every real sense of the word, you are anointed. In every real sense of the word, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God in your life. Or you have the calling of God upon your life. Sometimes we look at people and say, well, that person's called. That person has a special calling from God. Listen, all of us have a special calling from God. All of us have been selected for God's special service. All of us have the anointing in that sense. And so what is David realizing in this battle? He's realizing not only who God is, but in realizing who God is, he realizes who I am. I am God's special called anointed one. Can I say something to you this morning? You, you are God's special called anointed one. And this battle in your life doesn't mean God doesn't care. It means that God does care. It means that God has a special task and a special purpose and a special thing he wants to accomplish in your life. And he wants to remind you this morning that you desperately need him. And he wants to clarify to you this morning that, that you're trusting in things that, uh, that can never help you. And you're getting sidetracked on things that can never help you. And God's saying, listen, come back to me. He's taking your face like a little toddler and saying, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. That's what battles do. They make us look at him and then remind us that God has a special plan for my life. I like the, the, I like, uh, the implication of the word anointed. God does it. He's the one that saves. I belong to him. He's the one that's anointed me. He cares for me. He's going to hear me when I talk to him about the battle. Look at it. Verse number six. The Lord saves. So God's got this. God's got this. His anointed, God's got me, and he will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Hey, uh, God is able. God loves me, and God hears me. God is able. God loves me, and God hears me. So what does David know on the cusp of the battle he's going to face tomorrow? He knows, hey, God is able. God's got this thing. God loves me, and God hears me when I pray. Approaching battles are not your enemy. Approaching battles are your friend. Approaching battles teaches everything we need to know about God and ourselves. Number two. Not only do we learn that approaching battles accomplish great things in our life, but number two, I want you to understand this morning that we're supposed to be praying for other people in their battle. And this is really the psalm. How do I pray for other people in their battle? Look at verse number one. Matter of fact, notice the the imperative verbs in verses one through five. Don't miss it. The Lord, watch this, hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. So the people are praying for David. Uh, God, hear him. Defend him. Watch this, verse 2. Send thee help. Help him. Verse number 2. Strengthen thee. Strengthen him. Verse number 3. Remember all thy offerings. Accept thy burnt sacrifice. Remember and accept him. Boy, that's a great prayer. Lord, hear him. Defend him. Help him. Strengthen him. Remember and accept him. What does all of this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with Rock Hill? What does this have to do with you praying for your pastor? What does this have to do with you praying for your spouse or you praying for your kids? What in the world does this have to do with any of our lives? How am I supposed to pray for other people in their battle? Well, look at each one of these words. Look at verse number one again. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. Now Think about the prayer. Think about the prayer. The prayer is not for oneself. The prayer is for the person that's facing the battle, David. And the prayer is, God, would you hear him? The implication is, my leader is praying. That's the implication. The implication is, Lord, would you please hear him because I know that he's praying to you. I wonder, if you're a dad or a mom, do your kids know that you're praying for them? Do your kids know that your first line of defense is to pray? As pastors and ministry leaders, do our people know that we're praying for them? Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee. That thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. Hey, do we know, do we know that we know that our leaders are praying for us? Do we know that our first line of defense, when the approaching battle comes, is, oh God, I need you, and oh God, I'm desperate for you, and oh God, I have clarified in my life that, Lord, you're the one I need, and God, all of my hoarded resources are not enough. I need you desperately. Do your people know that your first line of defense is God? Does your husband know that? Does your wife know that? Do your kids know that? I had a good talk with my son Joshua recently. Josh loves the Lord. He leads a great youth group. He went through a real shaky time in his life after he graduated. Oh, he was in church, but he just wasn't there. You know what I'm talking about, moms and dads? He was compliant, but there was something wrong. He was robotic. He was mechanical. He was going through the motions. What's wrong? Nothing. Josh, what's going on? Nothing. We knew it was desperate. We knew it was. Many a night I would go and kneel outside of his bedroom door. Put my hand on, put my hand on the door of his bedroom. Say, Oh, God, I don't know what's going on in his heart. Oh, God, would you do what I can't do? God, would you go to places I can't go? Oh, God. To the people that call you dad or mom or pastor, or youth pastor, the people that call you friend, do they know that they know that you're already praying? Oh God, hear him! Oh God, I know that he's calling out to you. I know that he's trusting you. Oh God, hear him! But coming alongside of people, knowing that they're seeking God themselves. The implication is that David was praying. The occasion was the day of trouble. When the Bible says the day of trouble, that's not one day. I wish it meant that. I wish when the Bible talked about the day of trouble, it meant one day. And Lord, if I can just hang out to midnight, I'll turn into a pumpkin again, and I'll be all good, right? That's not the way it works. The day of trouble means the season of trouble, and we don't know when the season ends. Sometimes winter hangs on a lot longer than we want it to. And sometimes the trial in your life hangs on a lot longer than you want it to. But God, however long the trial is, you already know. God, hear Him. Hear Him. But not only hear Him. Watch this. Number two, strengthen him. Do you see that? I'm sorry, defend him. Verse number two. Verse number one. The name of the God. Don't miss it. The name of the God of Jacob it. That's not the way I would say it. If I'm praying for somebody, I'm not saying, oh God, the, the name of the God of Jacob. Why would he call him the God of Jacob? Jacob was the name of, of the deceiver. Jacob was the name of the one that, that wasn't trusting God. The manipulator. The schemer. No, it was only after Jacob came to God at Penuel and God said, you're going to be a prince with me, that he renamed him Israel, the prince with God. Yes, I want the God of Israel to defend me, but that's not what they prayed. So God, the name of the God of Jacob defend me. You know why? Because God doesn't defend us because of who we are. God defends us because of who he is. Boy, you want to pray for somebody. Don't pray, oh God, he's been a good person, and God, he's really tried hard, and God, he's doing his best and really kind of help him out. God, he's done a lot, but just kind of make up the difference. God's not a make up the difference, God. God's in everything, God. But you want to pray for somebody. Come alongside, say, Oh, God, you're the God of Jacob. You're the God that honored the covenant when he was a liar, a cheater, a deceiver. God, you blessed him not because he was blessable, you blessed him because you're God. God doesn't bless us because we're good. He blesses us because we're good. He doesn't bless us according to our resume. He blesses us according to his resume. God, honor your name by doing something in his life that will bring you honor and glory and help him to stay faithful to you. Oh God, help him. Oh God, hear him. Oh God, defend him. Look at verse number two where the Bible says, Send thee help. Oh God, help him. Send thee help. Watch this, though. Send thee help from the sanctuary. That's usually not my prayer. Somebody has a financial need, I'm Lord, help them get a good loan. I, 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 know, I know a good banker that, that will give him a loan. I know a friend that he can give him some resources. But we look to every other resource but God. Boy, you want to pray for somebody? Pray that God blesses them out of the sanctuary. Remember Asaph? Remember how Asaph, the music leader during David's day, would look out the window and say, God, it's not fair. Life is not fair. Maybe that's what you're saying to God right now. Life is not fair. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to raise my kids for you. I'm trying to learn your word. I'm trying to honor you. And I look at other people in my life that have no concept of God. They have no desire to serve God. And their lives are doing really, really well. And my life's falling apart. It's not fair. Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever thought that about God? Well, you're in good company because David thought that at times. And Asaph, the worship leader of the nation of Israel, he thought that. He's looking out his window saying, God, it's not fair. 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 Until he got to Psalm 73 and verse 17. He said, Then I went to the sanctuary, and then I understood. You know where understanding comes? Understanding comes when you get alone with God. Understanding comes when you realize that your need is not what God gives you. Your need is God himself. See, we look at God like he's our big genie in the sky. And God, if you'll just heal me, then you'll be a good God. And God, if you'll just help me, then you God, if you'll just give me. God, if you'll just supply for me. Oh, God, if you'll just... Like God, some big dispenser of warehouse items in the sky. No, God wants you to know Him. God didn't save you to give you stuff. He saved you to give Him, give you Himself. If you want help, the help you need is the help from God's sanctuary. You need a fresh touch of God's presence. That's what you need i tell you what, if you'll come to God and say, God, nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. And God, I'm not asking for you to do anything in my life. I don't need you to heal my cancer. I don't need you to pay my bills. Oh God, I just want what you are doing in my life. To be clear, God, give me you. Give me you. God, give him you. That was the prayer they had for their leader. Help him, hear him, defend him. Look look at verse number number two. Send him help. Help him. Watch this. Strengthen thee out of Zion. I'm going to tell you something. That's never my prayer. My my prayer typically is not that God strengthens people, My, my prayer is that God removes what is inhibiting them. So, what do we do? Lord, take the trial away. That's all of our prayers. Boy, oh, let, let, can I take some prayer requests? Yeah, let, pray, pray that God takes this cancer away. God takes this trial away. God takes this thorn away. God takes this. That's our prayer. But that's not a Bible prayer. Uh, Paul said, oh, God, take it away. God said, no. Uh, God, take it away. Oh, God, God, I would be more effective for you if you take it away. God said, no. God, I don't know if you heard me the first two times, but there's a thorn in my flesh, this messenger of Satan is buffeting me. And Lord, I feel like I could be much more effective in ministry if you just take this thorn in my flesh away. And God said, no, my, my, my grace is, God, I, Paul, I know what I'm doing. My grace is sufficient. God is much more interested in purifying your faith in the trial than he is about taking the trial away. So a biblical prayer is God strengthen him. Let patience have her perfect work, that he may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You know what Bible prayers are? Bible prayers are Colossians 1. God strengthen him with all might in the inner man, according to your glorious power. O oh God, give him strength on the inside. That would counterbalance the pressure on the outside. Oh God, may your spirit be so alive in his life. Oh God, may your strength be so evident in his life that he is a shining beacon of what your grace can do. Oh God, don't take him out of the fire. Show other people what, what you can do with him in the fire. That's what God wants to do. Well, you want to pray for somebody, pray that God strengthens them. Pray that God gives them that grace and that aptitude in their trial to shine, to shine for Christ. That's a great way to pray for somebody. Hear him, oh God, hear him. Defend him, oh God, help him. Oh God, strengthen him. Look at the last one in verse number four. Verse number three, rather. Remember, remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. What does that have to do with anything? Remember your offerings and, His burnt sacrifices, yeah. Remember what I said? Ahead of a battle, what the king would do ceremoniously. Remember, Jehoshaphat did this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Moabites had formed a coalition, had attacked him. And what am I going to do? They would offer a sacrifice and say, oh God, I'm offering this sacrifice because we know that we need you in this battle. So David was offering a sacrifice and the people were gathering around as David offered the sacrifice to the priest. And the people were saying, oh God, accept his sacrifice. You know, I can, sometimes we think that solving our problems is just kind of checking off the religious checklist. So we think things like, man, my life is going south, so I just need to go to church more. Or, boy, I need an answer from God, so let me just kind of read the Bible more. Listen, God's not into you having a longer checklist, No, what God wants to do in your trial is God wants to go right down to your heart level and say, where where are you? And so it's not a matter of coming to God and doing more for God to say, okay, God, I've kind of been away from you, so if I'll do this, 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 and this, then will you do this, 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 and this? As if God is like a two-bit barterer. You've been away from God, okay, God, I'll, I'll start tithing again. Okay, God, I'll start coming back to church again. Okay, God, I guess I'll stop doing this. Now, God, would you do this? And God's not into you bartering with Him. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. And God, David's offering these sacrifices, but God, don't honor the sacrifice per se, honor His heart. Because the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, you can take all your sacrifices. Away with all your sacrifice if the heart's not there. Jesus said in Matthew 9, he said uh, to the religious leaders of his day, he said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I want your loyal love. Now, I want you to do the things you're doing, but do it with the right heart motive. I want you to make the sacrifices, and I do want you to come to church, and yes, read your Bible, do all those good things, but do them from the heart. No, God, honor his heart for you. That's the prayer that God God's people are praying for David. What do approaching battles accomplish in our life? God, I need you desperately. How can I help other people in their battle? Pray for them. But don't pray that God removes the battle. Pray that God hears them and helps them. Pray that God strengthens them and defends them. Pray that God purifies their heart in it Oh God, I'm not saying you should take it away. I'm saying, God, I trust in your sovereignty that you're doing something here. God, accomplish your purpose through it. We know that God doesn't do things to us. He does things for us. Say, okay, Kurt, how do I remember this? Look at verse number seven. Just for sake of time. Look at verse number seven. How am I gonna remember this? The Bible says some don't miss it. Some trust in chariots, And some in horses. But we, now it's back to we. We will remember the name of the Lord our God. They, the people that trust in chariots and horses. They are brought down and fallen. But we, we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we call. What? What? What what are the people saying? What what is David saying as he recounts this whole experience and writes it down in a poem? What's he saying? How do we remember this great principle about the battle before the battle? Okay, in two ways. Number one, this. We need to learn to downgrade our trust in human resources. Now, let me say that again. The battle in your life that you're facing right now that's looming so large that you've prayed a million times to say, God, take it away but it's still there. You know what God's teaching you? He's teaching you this big lesson. Downgrade your trust in human resources. You've been looking for every help. You've been looking for every solution. You've been looking for every payout. You've been looking for every, every escape route, and it's still there. You know what God's trying to help you to understand? Downgrade your trust in human resources. So these people are saying, Lord, Some people trust the best human resources possible. In battles, the best resource was the chariot, that was the tank of the day. The best resources is if I've got a horse and if I've got a chariot, if I've got an army that has that kind of equipment, I'm going to win the battle. And some people put all their trust in their hoarded resources. I've got a great 401k program. Yeah, you know, I've got a, I've got a, a great diet. I'm a real healthy eater. Uh, I've got a, a, a great job. We put our trust in all the wrong things, and some do that. And what God is helping David and the others to understand. As I don't care how well you prepare, all of your hoarded resources are not going to protect you. And you won't get out of this life alive. Some trust in horses and chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You know, no one likes to downgrade. We all like upgrades. You go to the hotel, hey, you've been upgraded. Ooh, right? You go to the the airport, you've been upgraded. Oh. We love upgrades. We never like to downgrade because downgrading takes humility. Downgrading says I'm insufficient. Downgrading means I'm accepting a lower seat. I was in the airport recently in Bentonville, Arkansas. I I, I checked in for my flight, and I I fly every week of my life. And so very often they'll, they'll call me and say, Mr. Skelly, we've given, we, we, we're going to give you a free upgrade. Oh, I love that. Wonderful. More room. That's, uh, I'm not going to buy that seat, but if you give it to me, my name is Jimmy. I'll take what you give me. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll take it. So I checked in. It was a small, a short flight back home, hour and 15 minutes, and I was fully expecting to have an upgrade. And I walked in, no upgrade. First class cabin is full. It's a small cabin. That's okay, no problem. So I'm sitting down. This had never happened to me before, ever happened to me, ever. In all my flying, it never happened to me. I'm sitting right next to the gate agent. She gets on the microphone. She says, folks, we have a situation. So the flight is actually only half full. She said, but we have overbooked the first-class cabin, and we're looking for a volunteer to downgrade. I had never heard that term before. We're looking for a volunteer to downgrade, who would be willing to sit back in the regular cabin. So I, I'm thinking, good luck with that. So sure enough, like five minutes later, nobody has volunteered. I'm sitting right there; no one's volunteered. So I'm, I'm I'm waiting to see how this is going to play out. It's a one hour and fifteen minute flight. Five minutes later, she gets back on the microphone. She says, "Ladies and gentlemen," um. We still need somebody to downgrade their seat. We're offering a $500 travel voucher. Now, listen, I love a big seat, okay? But if you told me that I, I could sit in this big lazy boy chair or I had to sit in this old folding chair, but if I sat in the folding chair for an hour and 15 minutes, you'd give me $500, I'm, listen, I'd sit on a tack, So I'm like, man, if, if I were in this, I would be the first guy at the cabin. Like, yeah, yes. Five minutes go by. Nobody comes. So five minutes later, she's like, folks, we still need somebody to downgrade their seat. We're offering 700. Five minutes later, 1,000. Five minutes later, 1,200. Five minutes later, 1,500 dollars. Finally this guy comes up. He's kind of sheepish. He's a huge guy. Like I'm seriously, like, he's huge. He's like 6 foot 6. He looks like he played offensive line for like nine teams, okay? He's huge. And he's like almost sheepishly says, "Ma'am, um I would give up my seat, but I I I bought the seat because I can't fit in the other seats." But I, I'd be glad to give up my seat. She said, well, we'll give you two seats in the coach section. He goes, oh, okay, well, then I'll do it. And, but my wife's with me. Well, we'll do it for her too. So listen, I sat across the aisle from this guy. He looked at me and he said, I said to my wife, the first time she asked for a downgrade, I said, we'll do that for free. We'll do that for free. But he said, I didn't feel like I could. So here they got 3,000 dollars. I thought, you know what? There's a benefit in downgrading. And what God wants you to understand is there's a benefit in downgrading. You're thinking in your battle right now, you need to upgrade. You need greater resources. You need greater strength. You need greater wisdom. You need great No, you, you have a greater God. And he wants you to downgrade your trust in you and your faith in you. And then number two, upgrade your trust in him. Downgrade your trust in human resources. Upgrade your trust in him. And so it's Moses. God, if we're gonna win this battle against the Malachites, I'm gonna, we need you. And it's Aaron and her saying, God, if we're going to win this battle against the Malachites, we need you, and we're going to help Moses hold those hands up because, God, we don't need a church that has bigger resources, and we don't need a church that has more money, and we don't need a church that has a bigger auditorium. We need a a church that understands it has a great God. Will you want to win a battle, Rock Hill? Hold up the arms of this man as he seeks his God, and you seek that God with him. And downgrade all of, because you're getting there. You're getting there. Okay, you you, you got some bigness now. You got some, you got some talent now. You got some resources now. And you're going to think you don't need God as much anymore. And that's going to be a fatal flaw. And what Rock Hill needs more than ever is you need a fresh touch from God. So downgrade who you are, upgrade who he is, and let God be God at Rock Hill. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you, God, for their love for you, their desire to serve you. Thank you, God, for their willingness to follow Pastor Matt as he follows you. And, oh, God, I pray that you would keep them humble Don't take any trial away from them. Strengthen them. Fill them with your spirit in a fresh way. Oh God, do a work that only you can do. Lord, for whatever lies ahead, and we don't even know the battle that looms, may they win the pre-battle by downgrading themselves and upgrading you. Please, Lord.